Welcome to the 5-Minute Business Boost, where you get to choose your 5-Minute Investment. I'm your host, Sam Hicks, and I'll be discussing topics under the headings of business development, marketing, photography, and more. Today, we're speaking with a small business owner to find out about their business journey. So it's five questions, maybe more. Sounds easy, right? It should be. So let's get ready for some great insights, reflections, and some laughter, potentially some serious bits as well. Please note our discussion today, meaning the content we're creating this episode, is for informational purposes only, not a substitute for professional advice. Each person and their business journeys are entirely different. So let me introduce my guest. My guest today is Megan Buntine. Hi, Megan. Hi, Sam. And Megan is from MJB Consulting. Now, Megan has a particular passion for working with not-for-profits, and she does this both online and in person with organisations across Australia and New Zealand and beyond. I just want to add that because I've been on a couple of those calls and we've had people from all over the world, which is pretty exciting. So Megan uses her knowledge, her skills and her experience and her connections to support governing bodies and senior staff of all sorts of organisations to build greater governance, leadership and strategic capabilities. So they, in turn, can then deliver better support and services to their own stakeholders. Now, one wild fact about our guest, Megan has ridden a motorbike on the highest motorable road you can drive on. Tell us about that for a quick couple of seconds. Go, Megan. <laughs> well, that was uh, that was back in the uh, early part of this century. <laughs> Seems like a long time ago now. I think it was about 2001. And, wow. Uh, my husband, Marty, and I, we went on a trip to India to ride around India on motorcycles. Um, Marty's a real uh, enthusiast when it comes to old motorcycles, and these tours were done on uh, Royal Enfields, which the modern-day Royal Enfields at that stage in India were still made off the 1950s model um, patterns. So it was a real experience on an old-fashioned motorbike. Uh, the uh, gearbox was upside down, as I recall. Some of the, the levers were on the opposite sides of the bikes to what we're used to here in Australia. So it was quite a challenge, but it was a great challenge. And I have to say, I was the only person on the trip who didn't fall off their motorbike, probably because I was going the slowest, I have, would, would suggest. But um Part of that tour took us up into the, the Himalayas up in uh, northwest India and it was just an awesome experience. And we spent uh, three days up in Leh acclimatising to the the, uh, the heights up there. I think it was about 3,300 metres up at, at Leh. Um, and then one of the days that we were there, we then went on a motorcycle trip further up into the Himalayas and rode across the highest motorable road in the world, which, as I recall, was I think it was about 5,500 metres. I mean, you were in danger of being hit by a low-flying aircraft. And where we were, we sort of we looked out and the view that we were looking into was, um, was over the border into Tibet. And it was just awesome to stand up there. And it was interesting because a few of the guys on the tour were smokers. Uh, and of course, what do you do when you get up into the rarefied depths of the uh, rarefied atmosphere where there's um, there's less oxygen than what you're used to? Of course, you have a cigarette, don't you? Uh, and they were having difficulties getting their matches to light because of the, <laughs> the low oxygen level. And in fact, the mechanics uh, who were our support team had to lean off the fuel mixture on all of our bikes the night before so that when we went up there, the bikes could cope with the, the different atmosphere. So, wow, it was just an amazing experience. 
Oh my God, how exciting and how fun and how fun, how typical of the guys to think they're going to have a cigarette, not thinking about the um, the position or the level of um, Absolutely. atmosphere that they're amongst. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. Alrighty, so Megan, for you, because um, you've been in business in, for a while, how did your business journey for MJB Consulting start and why do you do what you do? Well, I guess uh, this particular business has sort of been bubbling away in the background for, I would say, probably since about 2000 in various forms whilst I was still uh, working in my professional life and uh, running my tourism business. And then it really kicked off in earnest uh, in 2011 when I stepped off the, the corporate hamster wheel and decided to take the leap of faith into running my own business. Uh, and I guess at that stage, I was still running our tourism business as well. So it was, I was effectively, I had one foot in each camp, right? So I was running two businesses um, part-time, if you like. Then uh, over that time, because I guess having come from working in government, I'd always sat on committees and boards myself over the years. I think probably since I was a teenager, really, when I was in ventures and somebody tapped me on the shoulder and went, oh, you're good at maths, you could be the treasurer. Um, I've always been involved in those sorts of <laughs> governance type roles. Um, yeah. And so when I decided that uh, I was no longer going to work uh, for pardon me, work for um, government uh, and start my and do my own thing, um, the governance side of things was just like the natural progression of that. And um, because I'd always worked, when I worked for government, I'd always been in the disability sector. Um, I'd also done a short stint as a secondment to work for a, a not-for-profit um, disability provider for a couple of years. Um, so it wasn't that short, but anyway. Um so it became that sort of just all came together, if you like, um, the not-for-profit space, the governance space. Initially, um, my main contacts were in the disability sector. So it was sort of the disability orgs that I started consulting to. But then over time, um, that grew. People sort of heard about what I was doing. Um, I worked with a couple of organisations to get some grants to run governance training um, for local community organisations. I created my own governance program. So that involved a training session and end-to-end -end strategic planning process to support them. You know, it's like the training sessions, the theory, and then the planning sessions, the prac, if you like. And then yep. as a third um, adjunct to that was um, a 12-month um, sort of mentoring program where I, I sort of walked alongside of them to help them, keep them accountable really to implement that plan that we'd, we'd, I'd help them put into place. So that was sort of my foundation program, if you like, that started back in about, I don't know, 2011, 2012. Um, and with the support of funding from um, FRRR at that stage, the Foundation for Rural and Regional uh, Renewal, we're putting a lot of... Uh, resources into our local area, as you know, post the Black Saturday bushfires in 2009. Yeah. So there was a lot of um, a lot of funding available for community organisations to do that sort of work and to help them get back on their feet and strengthen what they were doing, so that they could, you know, add that value that they add to their communities in a in a much more um, grounded and strengthened way. So it just sort of went on from there, I guess. And um, over that time, I, I, I've sort of I did I've done a lot of work with men's sheds, for example, um, both across Victoria and into Tasmania, and that was sort of pre-COVID. Um, and it's interesting. I mean, I think you know, Sam, that I'm a bit of a Luddite when it comes to technology. You've sort of, <laughs> I think you've coaxed me through a few things over the years in terms of technology. So for me, pre-COVID, um, 
the work I was doing with organisations in that sort of training space was very much face-to-face. So I would go to them um, and and run the session for them. I, I can't even remember actually pre-COVID doing any training as such online. So I guess in that sense, I was fairly limited to across Victoria and into Tassie, as I mentioned, or, you know, potentially into South Australia and New South Wales as well. But um, And then, of course, COVID came along, didn't it? And um, COVID had some really interesting impacts um, on my consultant practice in terms of, well, first and foremost, like overnight, everyone said, oh, well, we can't come together and do training or we can't come together and do planning. Um, and, of course, they they had to do that. Excuse me. And uh, and I guess for me then it's sort of like in one hand my business fell off a cliff, um, but at the same time uh, our tourism business, which I had my other foot in, also fell off a cliff because people couldn't travel anymore. Yeah. Um, so that meant that we really needed to do some quick thinking about uh, how we were operating um, from a business perspective. Thank God for JobKeeper is all I can say. Uh, so, so over that time, it was interesting because um, we had some regular B&B guests who had bought a block of land here in Buxton and they, at the end of 2019, before COVID even really became a thing, they had, um, we'd come to an arrangement with them that they were going to lease one of our cottages for a year or two whilst they built just to have it as a weekender so they could sort of come up because uh, they were coming up every other weekend anyway. So that meant that when the they were based in the city at that stage, so that meant when the work from home order hit at the end of March 2020, um, um, they basically decamped from Carlton to our cottage and then spent the next 12 months living in our cottage. Yeah. Um, so that was, we were fortunate in that regard. So we still had that income stream happening there. And we actually had a, a plan to go to Europe for three months early 2020 from about April 2020. And of course, that didn't happen either. But by the time the first Victorian lockdown finished, um, we had about a month left of what would have been our time away. So we, um, we hooked up the caravan, threw the dogs in the back of the car and got out of Dodge. Um, headed up, Marty's brother is in Brisbane. So at that stage, the Queensland border was still closed. So we thought we'd just head up there, hang around for a while, see if they opened the border early. That didn't happen. We started heading home and then lo and behold, lockdown two starts. So <laughs> we're, we're in northern New South Wales going, well, there's no point going home because my work's all been postponed again. Our cottage bookings have all been postponed again. So um, our four-week road trip turned into a three-and-a-half-month road trip uh, through through Queensland, parts of Queensland we'd never seen before. Every time the Victorian state government made another announcement, we just kept going further north. So I guess that experience, that whole experience um, made us think it's so much easier having people um, just living permanently in the cottages, the the I guess the future was still really uncertain at that stage into 2020. So in terms of the, the tourism side of things, so we made the decision to discontinue the, the accommodation business. Um, and, you know, with the, the rental crisis, the way it is, you know, it was a no-brainer. Yeah. You know, make those those cottages available for somebody to have as their home. So we did that, which then that gave me the capacity to put all of my work time into this one one business. So it's sort of that was when it, it grew again um, in terms of, well, now it's, it's a full time gig. Um, what am I going to do with this extra time that I've got? We were still in the depths of COVID. Uh, so I, I dipped my toe in the water thanks to um, a, a, a friend of mine who um, had a role at the Bendigo Bank at the time. Um, he was in charge of the not for profit um, arm of the Bendigo Bank, sort of across Australia. And um, through his, they, they, um, 
they support you know organizations a whole range of ways as you know and so they they sponsored me to run my governance program online a couple of times so we did a bit of a test run we'd done some stuff face-to-face um pre-covid into 2019 down gippsland way and that um, that was really well received. So we thought, let's have a crack at doing it online. So we did that and it was it was amazing. I think we capped the sessions at 20 people and each time I think I had, you know, nearly 30 people from all over Australia. So this really opened up a whole new way of working for me in my business that through embracing um, technology and not being such a Luddite, I could actually connect with people and help people all over the country and beyond. You know, we had people from, um, I regularly have people from New Zealand coming into the sessions that I run online now, um, you know, and to other people, as you said, in other countries, so occasionally. So um, the whole technology space really opened up what I do. And now it's funny, my, one of my goals last year was um, in 2023, by the end of 2023, I wanted to be doing 95% of the work that I do online. And for someone like me to make a statement like that, it was pretty ambitious. And But look, it happened. And so now the majority of the work that I do is online. Um, yes, you know, sometimes if it if it suits for the organisation, it suits for me, um, I'll do something face-to-face. It might be that, you know, now we're having these three-month tours around the country each year where I'm working, I'm doing the digital nomad thing. So, you know, if I'm in somebody's neck of the woods and they want some training or some planning support or whatever, um, I can do that for them face-to-face if they want that. But generally, yeah, it's online. So, um that's a really long way of answering your question. Um, I can't even remember what the question was now. That's sort of in a nutshell as to how, what my origin story, you know, how did this business that I'm now running full time and flat out, um, where did that evolve from? Yeah, that's fantastic. So you pivoted through COVID, worked out that you could actually broaden your reach or your engagement online. I think that's a valuable lesson just in that understanding you know exactly what was happening um, to your environment thinking outside the square and then going online and everybody's so good at zoom now because that's what we did in COVID you know that's exactly right and the thing is not only am I better on at at running stuff online everybody else I'm working with is far much more familiar with it they see the advantages of it particularly you know if you're working with a board that's spread out across a wide geographical area and some of them across the country um Mm -hmm. it makes sense for them to be doing a lot more online so yeah it just it, it happened not, not that I'm saying that COVID was a good thing, but it happened at the right time um, and it sort of there was a synergy there between my evolution in my technological uh, understanding and use of technology, but also the broader world was doing the same thing at the same time. So it was yeah. like a, the perfect storm, if you like. Yeah, it worked. Um, you, I think you sort of mentioned some of the challenges that you had Um But when you look back on that time, apart from COVID, was there any other key challenges and solutions that you came up with or identified as a business? Uh, I think one of the key things that I found around that time of COVID, you know, going from two part-time businesses to one full-time business, it's like, okay, well, what am I going to do to fill that space of this extra time that I've I've now got? So um, during lockdown number, I don't know which one, um, I did a little research project. So I reached out to a number of people who I know who are either CEOs of not-for-profits or sit on not-for-profit boards. And I just did a little interview series with them and sort of said, okay, where do you see that there's gaps in the broader sector out there where what are the needs of 
not-for-profits that are not being met where I've got skills that I could be creating something to put into that space. So, yes, I had my foundation um, program of the governance training, the success, uh, sorry, the strategic planning and the, the mentoring package, um, but it's got to be more than that. So let's look at what are the specific areas. So there's some of the things that came up for me uh, around that was, well, one that really stood out time and time again, pretty much everyone I spoke to said succession planning. So, yes. so many not-for-profits, and I'm sure you've seen it too. I know I certainly did. So many not-for-profits don't do succession planning at all well, if at all. Um, the number of times I've gone to an AGM and there's this mad flurry of papers trying to get people to sign up to join the committee or join the board, and this is sort of more at the community-based level, but I'm sure it happens in a fairly ad hoc way at the more corporate end of the not-for-profit sector as well. Um, in fact, I know it does because I've, I've helped some of them through this this challenge. But, you know, being a lot more strategic about how do we anticipate what our needs are going to be at the, the AGM and with our elections, um, starting, I always say to people, start three to six months out, you know, particularly if you know that you're going to have some significant people on your board um, who are going to step down. You know, so yeah. I created, off the back of all of that, I created uh, a program where I work with um, with boards and the CEOs um, sort of six months out from their AGM and we go through a process of um, doing a really comprehensive skills matrix. Um, some of them may have those in place. It's just a case of refreshing it. Others may not have anything at all, so it's a case of putting one in place for them. Uh, yep. But going back to basics and looking, okay, well, what skills do we currently have around the table? What skills should we have around the table? What do we feel we need? And so where are the gaps there? But also, if Joe Blog drops a steps down from our board at the end of his term then what gap is that going to leave us as well so we come up with a full picture of okay what skill sets do we need to bring in what do we need to find in the next six months before we go to our AGM before we go to our elections and appointments or you know not everyone does them directly at their AGM necessarily but most you know 99 percent do um so it's a case of Okay, once we've identified the, the kinds of skills and the kinds of people who've got what skills, where do we then go out and find these people? Because uh, so for some organisations, it might be that it's very much a place-based organisation. So how do you tap into people locally that um, have the skills that we're looking for? Uh, other organisations, as I was saying before, their boards might be from all over Australia. So mm. um, how do we find the right people in that, that sort of broad geographical area? Um, I'm fortunate that I've I've uh, connected with a couple of big corporates that have really good corporate social responsibility programs where they they um, they want to help their employees or their members to contribute back to the not-for-profit sector. So um, I'm able to link to those networks. Um, and then often it's a case of, you know, I have people come to me. I had a lady just the other day came to me and said, look, um, I'm a lawyer, I'm doing um, – a governance um, further study. I'm going to do the ARCD course. I'm looking for my first not-for-profit board role. Do you know anyone who's who's looking oh. for something? So it's like yes. <laughs> so I have <laughs> I have people coming to me like that, but I also have not-for-profits coming to me and saying, "Oh my God, we're looking for such and such. You know, how can you help us um, tap in?" So as 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 a result of all of that, I put together that program that um, that does that work that that helps them along the way. And you know, I've run that program now with a number of organisations and it seems to me that it doesn't matter whether you're in a rural area or whether you're in a metro area, um, just going through
through that proactive process, we have had really good results. I, I wasn't sure how it was going to go initially with a, a widespread disability organisation that covered it, you know, half of Victoria. Um, but we got some amazing people, particularly through uh, one of those corporate social responsibility programs that I was talking about. So, you know, people who've got um, good professional skills, they've got lived experience through a family member, they've got that commitment. Um, and, you know, so it just it just seems to work. So that's that's a program that I'm, I'm really proud of. Another program that um, developed out of all that too, and this is probably less as a, as a result of the that little survey, um, that little research piece that I did, but more as from my experience. So I sort of middle to late COVID, I, in, in the process, I guess, of reinventing my business um, to become a full-time business, I sort of took the plunge and thought, right, well, I need to do something different. You know, the old saying that if you want different results, you've got to do something different. Um, so a friend of mine had been encouraging me for some time to uh, work with a lady who she was working with as a business coach. Um, yep. And I'd, I'd sort of never really gone into that space of business coaching. Um, and I, I was fortunate to get um, the state government business recovery grant and part of what that was intended to be for was things like business coaching. So I took the plunge and I thought, well, okay, let's have a crack here and, and see what happens. And so that then sort of put me on a path to opening my eyes of the difference that coaching can make to you to help you think outside of the square, to help you think of things that you would never come up with on your own um, and to link you into different people and different opportunities that are not necessarily in your sphere yet. So um, through that experience, I started that work um, that would have been late 21, I think, um, that um, I worked with that lady for about 18 months and I've, I've worked with different coaches since. And I feel that everyone who you work with brings a different element to what you're doing and can help you in different ways and bring different ideas. So that's been something that's been a real game changer for me. And equally, it's made me sort of sit up and go, well, actually, I've got something to offer here too. So mm -hmm. I've created an executive support program where I work with CEOs and senior executives in not-for-profits and help them navigate the stuff that's going on for them, particularly for CEOs. I mean, that can be a really lonely role, right, because yeah. Yeah. you can't debrief on your direct reports. It's sometimes your relationship with your chair might not be ideal. In fact, most organisations um, I talk to that – and. You know, that, that relationship between the chair and the CEO really is, in my opinion, is a linchpin that holds the organisation together. Mm -hmm. And if that's not functional, um, which in, I would have to say, more than half the cases that I come across, it's not. Not not always that it's totally dysfunctional, but it might just be that the person, the chair is caught up with a whole bunch of other stuff and they're, they're a bit absent and the poor CEO is just sort of flailing around trying to make it up as they go along without having any guidance and direction. So... You know, having someone who's there for them, who's in their corner, particularly someone who's from outside of the organisation, it can be, um, you know, it's free of those workplace dynamics that can go on, free of the politics. Um, it's, you know, a confidential sounding board. If people are feeling um, unsure or lacking in confidence or whatever the case may be, they can feel more open and comfortable to speak about that perhaps with someone who's external. And, you know, I think something that came out of COVID was people are a lot more, becoming a lot more aware of uh, looking after their mental health. Um, yes. 
not being perfectionist, going, okay, look, we're all human, we're all fallible. I know when I, let's say, grew up through the public service, you had to be this uber professional that was that was perfect. To make a mistake was was terrible. So I think we've moved on from that mindset that now people are being, and look, sometimes I hate the word vulnerability, but it really is becoming, it's a new black. Everyone's going, you know, yeah. show your vulnerability, be your authentic self. Well, that that is um, essentially what we're talking about here. It's about not trying to be this perfect, idealised um, CEO or executive. It's about admitting that you've got needs and you've got um challenges and and you're not great at everything so how do you upskill yourself and it's I, I guess over the years I've been a real um proponent of I think proponent's the right word <laughs> of continuous improvement within organizations yes. right? quality um continuous quality improvement and I think you need to take very much the same approach to yourself and your own development and that's you know personal and professional development so thinking about it from the point of view that as a as a CEO or as an executive or even as a chair of an organisation, I'm continually trying to hone my skills. I'm continually, as Stephen Covey talks about, sharpening the saw. And it's about continually trying to better the way you do things and improve your skill set so that you can do your job better or you can support people who you're responsible for better, et cetera, et cetera. And so also out of that, um, not only... Do I, did I create my executive support program, but I created a chair support program because I see that oftentimes it can be equally as um, it can be equally as lonely at the top for the chair, right? Because you know there might be dynamics going on within the board that you know perhaps the the deputy chair um, they can't necessarily talk to them or debrief with them, or it's not appropriate for them to be um, debriefing with the rest of the board. So how do they get the support that they need? So, yeah, all that sort of, um, I guess, that one-to-one support stuff has really come out for me in the last couple of years as being really valuable for me in my business um, to get that support for, for myself. And so in, in seeing that, it's it's given me the, um, I guess, the, the, the aha moment to do that for others as well. Wow. So you've really rolled two questions into one because we started talking about um, key challenges and solutions, but I think you've also talked about successes. Um, Have there been any defining moments, and we've sort of touched on it, any milestones where you've actually thought, ooh, so I know you set goals for 2023, but have there been any significant milestones in the last two or three years of your business journey? Um, I guess, yeah, as you said, every, I mean, I, as you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a planning nerd as well as a governance nerd. So, you know, I, I plan all the time. So um, setting goals for each year is, is nothing new for me, but it's it's just, um, I guess, each year, particularly since COVID and since I've taken this gig full time, um, you know, every year brings new challenges and, and new opportunities. And it's about just um, embracing those and grabbing hold of those. And it's, it's if you think it's it's like going up a staircase and each yes. step takes you another bit closer, not, I won't say to the top, because it's sort of like it's the journey, it's not the destination. I know that sounds yeah. a bit trite, but um, it's not about getting to a certain point and then just sitting down and going, okay, well, I'm here now, the job's done. It's like it's never done. There's always more yeah. to do. Um, yeah. You know, there's always more you can learn. There's always more you can develop in yourself. And I guess, you know, for those of us um, who are sort of 
I was going to say mid-career, but we're probably getting to late career now, aren't we, Sam? Um, you know, <laughs> at, a, at a certain age, you know, let's face it, um, let's let's um, use that that uh, the experience in that that last thirty years that we've had in the workforce, and that sort of teaches you a lot along the way. So I think we've 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 created this um, this amount of knowledge and understanding and depth of professional maturity, if you like, that we can that sort of stands us in good stead, and and we can use that as a stepping stone for the next piece and the next piece and so on. So I think you know. Um, in terms of particular successes and particular milestones, I think it's it's ongoing. There's little little wins along the way. Um, I think you know even going back to 2011 when I first um, stepped out of the corporate or the government um, sort of world and started my own gig. I mean that came off the back of another pivot, I suppose, from the the bushfires in 2009, and then having done the rebuild over that couple of years there, and then um, you know at that time I was unfortunate to be working with someone in the workplace who was particularly challenging and happened to be my boss. So, you know, it was sort of like stepping off into the the, the new um, the new challenge then was, okay, well, if I can get through the last two years and come out the other end of that, um, I can do anything really. So, mm. you know, take that was sort of what enabled me to take that leap. And I think that in itself was a success and a milestone going from, you know, having a, a nice secure public service job with a regular paycheck to, okay, let's just throw that away. <laughs> go out and make the jump. <laughs> yeah, and make the jump. But at that stage, I was feeling quite emboldened, I guess, because it's like, well, if I can get through the last two years, I can get through anything. Yeah, that's right. It builds up that resilience, doesn't it? So <clears throat> what do you think is the most important lesson you've learned from running your business to date? And I know it's morphed from the original thing into something mm. quite different now, and you've had your foot in both camps with tourism and your consulting but what's the most important lesson if you had to look back on that time um look I think what I've sort of been reflecting on over the last couple of years is you know there's always going to be more to do so whether you work a 70 hour week or you work a 40 hour week you're never going to finish all the stuff that you would like to do so um I think I've stopped beating myself up around um I I haven't finished this or I haven't finished that it's like well okay if I get to whether it's six o'clock or even if it's four o'clock in the afternoon and go you know what I think I'm done for today um that's okay uh and, and maybe this is sort of really gelled over the last couple of years with COVID and as I was saying before people are a lot more um, open and and willing to think about their mental health and how do I look after myself and that self-care stuff that actually makes it sustainable for you and resilient as you said before that pardon me you can continue uh, to do that work because if you're burning yourself out um, you're no good to anyone less than yourself Uh, but if you can be conscious along the way and that's sort of one of my big things this year I want to I've started this year off that I'm going to be really mindful about the amount of time I put in and it's it's about quality it's not about quantity Um, so I think looking after yourself don't be afraid to look after yourself don't be afraid to put yourself first because if you can't if you're not in a good place then you can't serve others well Um, so I think that's probably a lesson I've learned the hard way and I don't know that I've necessarily totally integrated that lesson yet but as I said it's a continuous journey isn't it right oh that's a fantastic insight and I think you're right 
we're evolving into that now, that whole be kind to yourself, you know, be kind to others, that whole ethos around not working, you know, both ends of the candle at the same time. Um, and, you know, I think that that's a really interesting thing. And, like, when COVID was just starting to emerge and it became apparent, like, how big it was going to be, and part of me thought this is going to, what comes after this is going to be like a, a global mental health crisis. Yeah. Because having seen it after Black Saturday, after the bushfires, and seen it on a regional scale uh, you know going through a major disaster like that you know the, what a pandemic does to you in terms of the uh, the trauma and the stress and all the rest of it is very very similar so I, I could sort of predict back then that what we experienced at a local level after the 2009 bushfires was going to it was going to ripple out around the world after the pan, as the pandemic sort of um, unfolded and it, the aftermath of that and I think our whole state is in a continual cycle of that because we've had bushfires, floods, pandemic. It just keeps going. So I think the quicker as business owners that we can learn to take time out when we need it and to be kind to ourselves, I think you're right. Um, It is about having that, I suppose, that gut feeling that, you know, we are going to have some time where we're going to have to adjust to a new way of doing things. Well, that's the new normal, isn't it? The new normal is being able to... That, that word pivot really came out in 2020 and 2021, didn't it? But I think it's you've, you're always going to be. What's the next thing we need to we need to pivot around? What is the next thing we need to be um, resilient to? And you mm. know, it's interesting. I heard during that time, I heard a really a great simple little um, description around resilience and this notion that you know we don't bounce back. People talk about bouncing back in terms of resilience, but we don't bounce back. We actually bounce forward because yeah. bouncing back suggests that we're going back to where we were pre the event, whatever it may be, whether it's a bushfire or a pandemic or a flood. Mm -hmm. But in fact, we bounce forward because we take the legacy of that experience and what we've learned through that experience, that goes with us into the future. So, you know, our our what we've learned about ourselves, what we've learned about our communities, what we've learned about other people, um, that's that's sort of the legacy that, that travels with us. So it's the the new normal that we all talk about and it's you mm. know that notion of bouncing forward rather than bouncing back. So I just thought that was a really interesting way to think of. It is a real interesting way to think about it. So thinking about any aspiring entrepreneurs or business, small business owners out there that are thinking about starting up their own business or they might be in that first 12 months of their journey, have you got any advice, apart from being kind to yourself, have you got any advice? Yeah, look, I think um, one thing that... uh, really works well for me at least is network like crazy you know just get out and meet with people and I know for some people the idea of networking is a bit like sticking pins in your eyes but it doesn't have to be going to you know going down to the city or going into town and um, you know going to a big event where there's lots of people there Uh, I think again this is another good thing that that COVID's perhaps given us is you know just even um, having a a one-to-one catch-up on Zoom you know is a way Mm. of networking and I've, I've got this thing that I came across a few years ago that somebody suggested to me and it's something that I've taken forward with me and I suggest this to you know the people who I do my exec support program with and, and others um, 
it's a 50 coffees challenge, right? So the idea is that you challenge yourself to have 50 coffee catch-ups um, with different people. And so, you know, oftentimes when you reach out to people and you, you couch it in those terms, they see the fun in it and they're, they're quite happy. Yeah, let's have a coffee catch-up, whether it's on Zoom, whether it's in person, mm. whatever works for you. And it's just a way, it's not about any set agenda that, you know, I want to sell something to you or I want to um, pick your brains. It's just let's go and have a conversation and learn about it's each like other. Connected. Yeah, exactly. And then what sort of comes out of that? And, you know, I've met some amazing people by doing those 50 coffee challenges. Um, yeah. I'm sort of in the middle of doing a bit of a, um, a similar sort of thing at the moment where I'm reaching out to a number of um, CEOs of not-for-profits across Australia and New Zealand and and just connecting with people. And just in the last week or so since people have started coming back to work, um, you know, I've met some amazing people over in uh, South Australia, had a couple of conversations with people over there last week. Um, I met an amazing guy who's, who's running a, a community legal centre up in Western Sydney the other day. Um, so, you know, talking to these amazing people about the amazing things that they do and even though you might throw the invitation out to like 100 people you might only get 10 people who want to connect but it's usually they're the 10 that resonate they're the 10 who like you are really passionate mm. about what they do are really values driven are really keen to meet other people um and it's not to say that they're all massive extroverts either and I have to tell you I think during COVID I found my inner introvert so that was really interesting <laughs> <laughs> but um you know it's quite nice to actually just sit in your office in front of the Zoom um, in your comfy clothes, isn't it? And have a coffee it and is. a chat with someone. Yeah, it is. And I think that's so, what COVID has taught us, that, you know, you don't have to get in your car and go and meet somebody. You can catch up on Zoom or you can catch up on Teams or whatever. Oh, absolutely. That, that, so, yeah, networking and even, you know, that was something when I first started um, this business back in 2011 uh, or started it in the format that it is now in 2011, um, I did two I love mind maps, right? So I did two mind maps. One mind map was what are all my skills and things that I can offer the world? And the other mind map was who are the people that I know that I can talk to about this stuff? So that's one of the things that I often do with the people who I coach is particularly if they're looking for a career change or they're looking to get out of the corporate world and start their own business of some sort is like do those two mind maps. Do the um, what, do I, what do I know? What am I good at? What are my superpowers? And then also who do I know? Who needs to hear about this stuff? Uh, yeah. And it could be just a case of starting to work off that mind map and go, right, I'm going to have a Zoom coffee with three of those people each week. Yeah. So that's really building on that networking um, insight that you said before. I love the idea of the mind maps. That's a great exercise for people to go through. So that's a another fantastic piece of advice. Alrighty. So we're coming to the end of this now, but so final two questions. What area of your work do you love the most, Megan? I think as things are evolving in my work now, the area that I'm really wanting to do more in is around that executive coaching stuff. So working with people one-to-one to make a difference for them. I think it's great to work with a, a, a team and run a governance session, for example, yep. or a different sort of a training session. But you, you have them for, you know, a few hours. Um, it's great while they're there. But you know, how many people six months after they've attended a training session really remember and really that stuff's really having a, a, a great impact um, on their day-to-day work. Whereas if you're working with someone as a coach, um, you're seeing them on a regular basis, you're helping them sort of 
problem solve through their issues in an ongoing way. Uh, for them, it's, it's you're helping them along that journey that I was talking about before. So it's um, it's more it's it's one person at a time as opposed to a group. But I think the longevity of the work that you do, um, if you're not doing that sort of you know those follow ups that I talked about in my foundation program to help the organisation really embed what you teach them in their day to day practice, um, I think whereas the this sort of the coaching stuff um, on the individual level helps people really embed that change. And certainly that's what I've found in my own personal experience, at least, um, is that the coaching work really helps you uh, integrate what you talk about. You know, you go away, you you let the ideas sort of filter through, um, you think about them for a week or two, and then you catch up with your coach again. And so it's it's incrementally integrating that new those new ideas and those new ways of working in your day-to-day practice. So that's what I'm really excited about at the moment. That's what I, I'm really loving in the work that I do. And, you know, that from that, um, as you know, Sam, I, I sort of do these online networking um events now uh, and what I've got out of that is that now I'm doing I've started doing an online networking event just for you know the people who have done the coaching with so that it creates a community for them but not just yeah. for the people I've done the coaching with but you know for example those those amazing CEOs that I spoke to in Adelaide last week you know I've invited them into this group as well because I just see that they're they're a really good fit for that so it's almost like an invitation only that particular yeah. networking thing because I want it to be really special and I want it to be the right people coming together to inspire each other. So um, I think that there's a lot of potential around that that one-to-one support, how I can help them build a community, how I can bu- help those CEOs build a bit of a peer network so that they do have other people to go to when you know they're feeling like it's lonely at the top. Um, and also sort of the next step on for that is I'm also – starting to do executive re- retreats. So I've got the first one of those booked in for, for April um, to to work. This one's particularly for women and it's all about self-care. So we talked before about self-care. So, mm. you know, we're, we're doing, yes, we're doing a bit of um, visioning and talking about, you know, how do we want things to look for us, but it's also about total self-care and blissing out for a couple of days in the bush. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So that was going to be my next question. What is on the books for 2024 for you? You mentioned the retreats. What else have you got um, that is going to be rolled out or what are you thinking of? Yeah, so um, so this year uh, doing the digital nomading again for, for three, three and a half months. Um, this year we're going to be travelling over to Adelaide, up to Darwin, uh, across to Brisbane, down through Sydney, and back um, back home. So that um, that that sort of travelling around the country gives me a chance to actually have those face to face coffees with the people who I've connected with along the way. Um, potentially, you know, be running training sessions in place for organisations that I've connected with, um, and just see a bit of the country for myself as well. So it's it's a balance between that, you know, self-care, getting away, having a holiday, having a retired husband and doing the grey nomad thing. Well, he does the grey nomad thing. I do the digital nomad thing. Um, so, yeah, and again, it comes back to post-COVID. Um, we're so much more able and willing um, and accepting of, of working in that sort of a way. You know, my clients don't expect me to be sitting in the office every day when I'm talking to them. You know, they'll accept the fact that I'm up at Mataranka or I'm out at Longreach or, you know, out in the middle of the boondocks somewhere and we're having, we're doing whatever we do. And, you know, doing that one-to-one work um, fits really well with that too because I can do that online from anywhere that I have an internet connection really. Mm, yeah. 
That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Um, I've learned so much, Megan. I've always been inspired about what you've been doing and being, I suppose, part of some of those online lunchtime connector programs that you were doing there for some time. I was just blown away with the amount of people that you've enabled us, I suppose, in a way to all come together from all different organisations and groups, particularly love the hall ones only because, you know, I've yeah. got a big halls. Your passion project. Um, so um, how can people find out more about your business or how can they connect with you? Um, so I think the easiest way for people to connect with me is just shoot me an email, which is simply Megan, M-E-G-A-N, at mjbconsulting.net.au. Uh, so um, you can you can Google me and you'll find my website there. Uh, jump on the website, have a little bit of a look around, uh, just reach out if there's anything, even if you just want to have a chat, if you want to be one of those 50 coffees, reach out and have a chat. Well, there's a challenge to our listeners, people, um, and this podcast goes all over the world. I've got listeners from America. I think I've got some expats, Aussies that live over in America. So you might Amazing. get some calls um, from people wanting to catch up for a coffee. But um, thank you, Megan. And thanks, everybody, to listening to the 5-Minute Business Boost today. For more information, follow me on social media and check out my website to see how we can work together to reach your small business goals. Remember, anything is possible, especially in the northeast of Victoria. Until next time, cheerio.